Hi, this is James Yogan, host of Webcomics Reviews and Interviews. Today we're sitting down with Daniel Viverelli, Regenerative Entrepreneur. So sit back, relax, and let the Geek Fest begin. And it's on you. All right, cool. <laughs> hey, Janice, nice to be here. All right, so what exactly is it that you do as far as being a regenerative entrepreneur? Yeah, you bet. So as a regenerative entrepreneur, I am somebody who believes that every transaction should trigger an act of regeneration. Specifically, I know that's like a big, big mouthful, like uh, a transaction triggering an act of regeneration. So specifically what we do is I have a software company that helps businesses get online reviews. So Google reviews, Facebook reviews, and for every review, we plant a tree. That's, that's our act of regeneration. Okay. And why exactly do you do it that way? Yeah, sure. So I feel like this, the normal business model for most businesses is to try to deliver services and see how much they can get for those services rendered, you know, whether it's selling comic books or giving a haircut or going to a gym. And, you know, that's not a bad model. It's been the model and the template for a long time. But I felt like there was something a bit more interesting, something a bit deeper out there. And as I started to dig in, what I found was that there were businesses that were using giving or being generous as a way to actually give them a competitive advantage. And so, yeah, this this whole concept of, for me, is uh, regeneration is because I'm somebody who is providing a giving angle specifically around ecology, around environment, around our biosphere. But really, I mean, any kind of business could be using this model of essentially generosity to give themselves a competitive advantage. It doesn't have to be environmental. It doesn't have to be tree planting. I mean, you could be helping any, any different kind of uh, charity or any, any kind of um, social cause to, to basically use the same kind of template and be a more competitive, in, in this case, be a more competitive writer or comic book artist or, or brand. Okay. When we start looking at a lot of businesses, we're starting to see a lot of businesses are starting to actually do things like offering scholarships, basically paying it forward in huge ways. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it, actually. Paying it forward is like, it's just, it's a really powerful way to get a an, an advantage in the marketplace that's far more genuine than just like where you're trying to make a profit. Um, there's this term in marketing, you know, called KPI, and it's like, the, the most important thing that any business is measuring, you know, it's like, what's the KPI that we're going to measure? Well, for most businesses, it's like the the performance indicator they're keeping the closest eye on is how much money they're making. Um, I just feel like there's some really interesting brands and businesses and just even like uh, s- smaller entrepreneurs that are doing really interesting things around KPIs that don't actually have anything to do with money. Um, I think of one really great example, and, and for me, this was uh, kind of an aha moment, was when I, I discovered a company called Tom's Shoes. 
Um, for your listeners, if they're not familiar with Tom's, um, they're a shoe company that has this slogan, which is like, buy one, give one. So you buy a pair of shoes from Tom's shoe company and they'll give away a pair of shoes. Um, to me, like, I first heard about that probably about eight years ago. I was standing in a playground and somebody told me, like, uh, I've, I have my, my daughter was probably two, three years old at the time, needed a pair of shoes for her. And, and one of the parents was like, yeah, have you heard of Tom's Shoes? They make a great shoe and they have this um, thing. You buy a pair and they'll give a pair away. I was like, nah, that's, that's, that sounds really cool. And so that rewired my brain, Jameis. I was like, hold on a second. Like, if I buy a pair of Tom's shoes for my kid, a, a pair of shoes is going to get given away to a kid who needs a pair of shoes. I'm like, I, I really like that. I love that idea. And and the fact that I heard about Tom's shoes from a parent in a playground really says a lot about how powerful that that model and that message is. Because th think about it for a second. Like, when Tom's shoes showed up maybe 10 years ago, I don't know when they started, but they're, let's call them a, a fairly recent shoe company. When they decided to launch their brand, there would have been tens of thousands of shoe companies already on the planet. Like planet Earth did not need another shoe company when Tom's shoes launched their company. There was definitely enough shoes and enough shoe companies in the world. So these guys come along, they're like, hey, we're going to we're going to compete here. We're going to try to sell shoes. Like, what are we going to do? Well, they come up with this really interesting concept, buy one, give one. And it's through the giving, it's through the generosity that they've managed to create a really successful shoe company and effectively steal market share away from other shoe companies that just have a traditional business model of we make great shoes if you need some come and buy some of our shoes. You know, that's what every shoe company on the planet is basically telling the marketplace, whether it's Nike who does it really well and in a very glamorous, glitzy way to some of the smaller shoe companies in the world who don't have the marketing budget. That is essentially the message that shoe companies put out into the world. We make great shoes. If you like them, you should come buy some. Tom's comes along and says, we make great shoes. If you buy a pair, we'll give a pair away. Like, that's remarkable. That's worth paying attention to. And that is like one of the key reasons to their success. I think that success leaves clues. And when we look at a competitive landscape and we try to find a way to give ourselves an advantage, that it's a really good idea to see who's doing what and to try to take a feather from their cap. I don't want to be a billionaire. I don't want to start a shoe company. But I do think that part of their game plan is really advantageous to me as a small business person. And I think part of their game plan would actually be really valuable to people in the comic book space as well. Yeah, I mean, you're already seeing a lot of publishers, and by publishers, I don't mean like DC or Marvel, but I'm looking at the individuals that are already basically making a point to make sure that their books are available for free, especially, you know, giving them to libraries, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So, uh, going back to another business that's doing that, there's also the Bombas socks that are uh, doing, you know, you buy one of their pair, pair of their socks and you also give a pair of socks to the homeless for free as well. Nice. All right. I haven't heard of them. What are they called? Bombas. Uh, B-O-M-B-A-S. Bombas socks. All right. I'm going to check them out. I love it. So, 
Basically, if you want to get a pair of shoes, you give somebody a pair for free. You can also yeah. buy a pair of socks and give somebody a pair for free. So uh, the entire yeah. Gym, with yeah, this, beautiful. With Bombas, of course, their idea is that uh, socks are obviously the most requested item at homeless shelters. So, of course, mm. they've made it part of their marketing. Ah, okay, right. That makes a ton of sense. I, I mean, I've, I never would have guessed that socks were the most requested item at homeless shelters, but if that makes that makes perfect sense. Of course they are. So, uh, he going back a step, what is a KPI? Key Performance Indicator. Okay. So it's sort of interesting. Some people are actually looking at their charity as their KPI in that regard then. Yeah, or the... The like, like for us at Star Loop, like the key performance indicator that we have is the number of trees that we've planted, and because we plant one tree for every single review, like the more reviews we get, the more trees we get to plant. So these things are interlinked in a in a meaningful way, and I think I really want to emphasize that word, like they're linked in a meaningful way, because you know if you there's this term called greenwashing. I don't know if you've heard of that before. Uh, not really. All right. So greenwashing is this phrase that is descriptive of businesses or brands that might try to bolt on some kind of environmental component to their products, to their services, to their overall brand in a way that's not meaningful. They're just going to try to make their products, services, or brands seem more environmentally friendly than they actually are. So that's called greenwashing. So there, I guess you could say that at a glance, like planting the trees for every online review that we get might seem like some fuzzy, feel-good greenwashing thing that we're doing, but nothing could be further from the truth because much in the same way that with Tom's or Bombus that you're saying, giving away something actually gives them a competitive advantage in the marketplace because it makes their brand, it makes their story remarkable and makes them stand out. Well, for us, it's the same thing. We're the only reputation management platform in the world that has tied tree planting to online review acquisition. And aside from us just deciding to do that and it being one of our KPIs, like something we measure our success by, it's also a core part of our business model because we wouldn't be able to get the results that we get without the tree planting. Now, it's, the tree planting is not the sole reason why we're really effective at getting Google reviews or Facebook reviews, but it is one of the factors in why we're so successful at getting reviews. And what ends up happening is, like, if you just use kind of a black and white example, like, hey, Rhonda, um, you need a pair of shoes for your kid. Uh, you can buy a $50 pair of Nikes. And that's the end of that. Or you can buy a $50 pair of Toms and a pair of shoes gets given away. Which pair of shoes would you like to buy? Right? That starts to become a, a really powerful, compelling reason for Rhonda to consider, actually, you know what? I was going to buy a pair of Nikes because they've spent billions of dollars getting that swoosh into my brain. 
<laughs> and I think that and I think that Nikes are cool because of that, right? That's what advertising and marketing is all about. But now me, Rhonda, I'm starting to think twice. I'm like, well, Tom sounds pretty interesting. I like the idea of something really good happening because I'm buying this pair of shoes over here. So for us, it's the same thing. Like somebody who's thinking about leaving an online review, quite frankly, one of the biggest things we're up against, Jameis, is like, uh, I don't want to leave an online review for my lawyer, my hair salon, my electrician. Like I've got a million better things I'd rather be doing than writing an online review. (laughs) So now it's like, hey, uh, for every online review that gets written, a tree gets planted, that gives somebody a compelling reason to be like, well, I was going to go watch Netflix, but I kind of like the idea of a tree getting planted. Sure, I'll write an online review, right? So it starts to act as this ethical forcing function to get the results that we're trying to get for our members. And so it's not some fuzzy feel-good greenwashing thing. It's actually a core part of the solution. You notice, by the way, that basically it isn't just on your side alone, but you also basically do reviews for uh, Google and uh, Facebook as well. I'm sorry, could you say that again? The, you basically, it, basically, if I wanted to have a review, would it just show up on just your site, or would it be showing up on other places as well? Oh, yeah. So our software is specifically designed to help businesses get reviews on Google and on Facebook. That's where the the reviews are really valuable for most businesses, particularly on Google. Like if you've, I don't know, say you've got a law firm and you're competing in Sacramento. If you've got 200 reviews and the next closest law firm has like seven well, then you've got this massive status delta, this huge gap in the reputation and the status of your law firm over your competitors. And basically, anybody who's looking for the law firm in Sacramento, um, we're up to the point these days where over 80% of people read online reviews and will be influenced by them. So most people are risk averse, right? They're like, why would I choose this low status law firm when I can go with the one that has 200 reviews on Google? So that's, that's our focus primarily is helping businesses, local businesses get reviews on Google because that's what makes them money. Right. Do you guys just simply place reviews or do you help with the, uh, with the reputation and management as well? Yeah. So at the broadest level, like the acquisition of five-star reviews is reputation management. So you can do a lot of reputation management. You can slice up into a lot of thin little slices, but the top of the pyramid and the play, the thing that has the most value and makes the most money for businesses is essentially the acquisition of five-star reviews from their clients. So like real reviews, I'm not talking about you know, going to Fiverr and paying people from India to write reviews. I'm talking about like the acquisition of real reviews from their actual clients. Um, That is the most valuable part of reputation management right now, creating a cascade of of genuine five-star reviews. That's what makes businesses money. So are you guys reviewing your reviews to basically toss out the ones that are either obviously just simply, you know, somebody just simply writing good reviews or just simply, or basically people attacking the place? 
Um, can you phrase that another way, please? Not only are we seeing basically companies that are just simply writing reviews, but we're also looking at some individuals that are uh, basically taking advantage of how reviews work. And if somebody really mm -hmm. doesn't like them, they're basically well review bombing them, basically getting them and a lot of other their friends together, and giving that right. particular company nothing but negative reviews just to get them out of the, getting them out of the business, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I haven't heard that term, but I mean, that's a. I know what I know the phenomena that you're talking about. That's horrible. I've actually seen uh, about a year and a half ago. We had somebody that came to us. Um, they were a wedding wedding planner, and um, wedding wedding planning company had been in business for a long time. And apparently, I don't know how you know. I didn't hear the the side of the bride, <laughs> but a, according to the wedding planner, they had bridezilla as they're called. Um, she wasn't happy with the way the wedding planning and the wedding had turned out, and so she did exactly that. Like she got basically the she mobilized the wedding party to leave negative reviews for this wedding company, and that was it. Like they went from having a good online reputation, um, let's call it a five star online reputation, to something like a you know a three point four. And what ends up happening is, well, when you've got a 3.4 and you're surrounded by competitors that have a five-star rating and lots of reviews, well, who's going to choose the one with the 3.4? Like not many people. So their phone starts to ring less and less and the competitors start to ring more and more. Uh, for us, I mean, again, we're, we're looking to take the high road ethically on all of this stuff. So we're just really providing like software and a system that makes it really simple and easy for a local business to get good reviews because as you know like left left to our own devices like human beings the ones that are most naturally motivated to write a review are the ones that are upset or angry or an expectation wasn't met you know they're the ones that are going to take time out of the day and be like one star take their hot little fingers online on yelp or google or wherever and just you know just vent um so a lot of local businesses these days, like, I don't, man, it's they they can be overwhelmed, right? They've got so much to take care of, and now, like, I think a lot of local business people are just like, "Are you kidding me?" Like, now I got to contend with like trying to manage our reputation and get reviews. Like, I got enough to do. <laughs> so, like, Google doesn't doesn't ask, you know, the. 10 million small businesses across the US or however many there is like can is it okay if people can leave reviews on Google about your business like no they just go ahead and do it and next thing you know you know some business wakes up 3 years later and goes what like people have been leaving reviews about us online like what do they say and they look up and they're like oh man it's not good <laughs> cuz you know again people who are pissed off are the ones that are leaving the reviews naturally so they seek out a solution like ours basically they're like we need it. we need a way to get reviews how are we going to do this and look there's a lot of software and platforms out there and they do okay but again we're the only ones that have this a compelling promise of planting a tree for every online review, which allows us to get people way more online reviews and reforest earth at the same time. Yeah. And that's top that you're also seeing the phenomenon that basically a lot of businesses aren't just local anymore. They're, they're practically international. Yeah, for sure. And like, we should maybe unpack a little bit like for, you know, the comic book audience here, like whether it's writers or artists or, like whatever it is like to attack it 
um, from that angle, just this idea of what they can give away to make them more compelling. Is that something that you'd like to explore? Uh, definitely. All right. All right. So um, I'm just going to go out on a limb here because, you know, co the comic book world is something that's uh, – uh, look, I, I collected comics uh, when I was uh, from like 14 to 18. So that's going back like 30 years ago. I was collecting, uh, what was I collecting? G.I. Joe, Judge Dredd. Uh, those were the two big ones that I really loved. <laughs> and then Gru, I don't know if Gru's still around. He's like a sword wielding. <laughs> nah, he, he lasted only a couple of years, unfortunately. Ah, uh, Shame, shame. Um, yeah, yeah. So those were the those were the big ones. I was I was kind of just shying away from like the big superheroes, you know, like Spider Man and 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 Superman and stuff like that. So you know, I've got a little bit of understanding of that world. So some of this, but it's again, it's been a long time. So some of the stuff I'm going to talk about here might just not be applicable at all to the world of comic books. But here, here's here's what I start to think about, like whether it's like. To catch me up a little bit in the world of comic books these days is it still a lot of physical product or is it mostly digital uh depends on the person but yeah you're seeing a, you've been seeing a lot of digital products since the 1990s and on top okay. of that there's a lot of hybrid where people will tend to have not just a digital uh product but they'll also have a pro, pro, uh, physical product as well hybrid all right that's interesting and then, of course, right. uh, people who just simply do this stuff online, that will uh, basically take advantage of advertisers to pay, pay for their bills and all that. Uh, okay, interesting. And, of course, there's okay. the merchandise. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so at first, I think this this might sound naive and idealistic, but if we dig in, there might actually be a solid business case here, much in the same way that there was for us with the planting of the trees. Now, um, I think when it comes to being a more compelling comic book, whether it's the comic book itself that's being created or being a more compelling writer, a more compelling artist, like what can we if we what can we think about like how to make ourselves more remarkable right i'm going to use that word a lot remarkable how do we make ourselves more remarkable how do we stand out and then well one way that we can do that is actually by being helpers right we can be we can be an artist or a writer that is helping that is helping to make the world better as an extension of business as usual. And again, I know that sounds naive and idealistic. Like, how can we make the world a little better as an extension of business as usual? But here's the thing. I'm going to say that because I'm a tree guy, <laughs> um, you know, the, if I was a comic book artist, then the first thing I would be doing is like, I'd be planting one tree for every issue that's sold. It's not expensive to plant a tree. It is definitely possible economically to actually plant a tree for every issue sold, whether that's physical or digital or the hybrid model, as you call it. But it doesn't have to be trees, right? Let's say there's um, Jameis, like an artist who writes a comic where the main character is, uh, I don't know, a kid with, with like an imaginary friend who's a, a puppy, all right? The main character of the comic is a kid with, 
with an imaginary puppy for a friend, like that artist who's behind that might say, you know what, like along with every comic book that along with however many comics we sell, like I want to be known as the guy who's helped rescue shelter dogs. Right. And my KPI, one of the KPIs that I'm going to have is how many dogs I've saved from the animal shelter. And to tie that in, because, you know, his his main character is a kid who has an imaginary friend who's a puppy and the artist loves puppies and he loves dogs. Right. He starts to getting that this alignment. And so, you know, p- part of what that that artist and that writer and that comic is doing is is helping here now all of a sudden they become they become more remarkable they're not they're now not just a comic about a kid with an imaginary friend who's a puppy they're a comic book with a kid that has an imaginary friend as a puppy who's also saving dogs and how many dogs have they saved so far well so far you know we've saved 174 dogs in the one year that we've been doing this, you know, I'm just kind of role playing here. Yeah. But in in giving something away, giving something away, they become more remarkable, more memorable. It's like generosity is this trait that I think most of us admire, you know. And by being generous, you become somebody more likely worth paying attention to and remembering. And as a comic artist or writer, that will help you sell more comics. And throwing you a bone, obvious pun intended, um, um, worth pointing out that a lot of comic artists actually do contribute a part of their, it, their profit towards various um, charities and all that. Most notably Alex cool. Wolfson Alex Wolfson at um, Yowie 911, for example, mm-hmm. contributes a little bit of his money to various gay pride causes. But you're, also right, seeing, right. but you're also seeing the same with autism. I mean, obviously, a lot yeah. of people are going for gay and other minority roles, but you also see autism sure. as well in there. Sure. All right. I want to unpack that a little bit. I think that's fantastic, by the way. I want to I wanna really talk about the pitfalls, which the first thing is, is if, if a comic book wants to – head in this direction where they're like, how can we help? What can we give away? How can we make the world a better place? Like, I think the biggest pitfall is if rather than pick a single KPI, like how many dogs did we save or how many trees did we plant or how many shoes did we give away of spreading themselves too thin? So if they're supporting like lots of things, then it's harder for somebody to remember or associate, oh, yeah, that's that comic book that does X. You know what I mean? Like, they, re- I think it's, it's a real advantage to go super narrow and stay in your lane. Like, once you pick something, just, like, pick it because it resonates with you and perhaps it's going to resonate with your readership and your audience that you're trying to reach. But then definitely stay in your lane. Like, for us here at Starloop, like, I wouldn't switch from trees to – saving shelter dogs, for example, it just, it, it wouldn't be a smart play for us. It would dilute everything that we're trying to do. Okay. Yeah. Also too, just on, on this note, um, I was going to say like, you know, what, what we give away 
as an extension of business as usual. I think too, it gives us alignment with the kind of people that we want to serve as well. Like in the case of a comic book, like what you give away as your, as your story starts to precede you, like as it starts to get out there into the world and people are like at the next comic con and they're chatting about your comic, they're like, Oh yeah. Like, did you know, like the dudes behind, um, you know, the fuzzy Joe comic of like saved, you know, 500 dogs. Like, nah, man, I didn't know about that. That's super cool. I love dogs. Like I, I grew up with dogs. Like, you know, like again, like it becomes this thing that's remarkable, something that's worth making a remark about, something that's worth talking about. And what happens is as that, as your story spreads, I really think that what you're giving away helps you attract a bigger audience and a better quality audience and people who start to understand your journey and who retell your story for you because it's remarkable. You get better alignment with not only an audience, but I think from the point of a comic book writer or anybody who's involved in launching a comic book, like it would help people in the long term, like attract better people to work with along with attracting a readership that's um, more aligned with, the the creators of that comic book as well and then to 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 go like a step further around monetization um we're talking about like better advertiser alignment as well too down the road as the readership starts to grow like you start to be able to attract a better quality advertiser who's in line with you know this other kpi this other mission that is something greater than number of comic books sold yeah, you definitely be not only attracting the people who are interested in the type of comic you've got. For example, with the Fuzzy Joe, you would be anybody going after a Calvin and Hobbes type of moment. But you'd also be attracting people that are obviously into, you know, dogs as well as keeping them safe and sane, or at least safe anyway. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like attracting, you know, like a getting a, getting the attention of dog lovers. And you know, in the case of our example. Um, who otherwise might might have just p- passed over the the comic entirely, but are compelled because they're like, oh wow, okay, this is interesting. I've never heard of a comic book that's rescuing dogs before. I'm gonna take a closer look at this. Yeah. But I think it's also important to recognize that you definitely don't want to have the charity just become basically an afterthought. It's got to be something that's actually core to you as well. Yeah, look, I I think there's definitely an advantage to do that. You know, using that word core and alignment, I think where possible, all that stuff is advantageous for sure. Um, but it's I I think the interesting thing that I've discovered that is that for us, uh, sometimes that's almost impossible, Jameis. Like one of our earliest members here at Starloop is a home inspection company and they're called odds on home inspection. If anybody wants to check them out, odds on home inspection services, they're out of Calgary. And last I checked, they had like a thousand Google reviews. Like they started with us at zero, zero Google reviews. And over the years that they've been with us, they've picked up over a thousand genuine Google reviews. you know, there's like a small forest that exists on planet Earth just from this home inspector <laughs> doing home inspections and using using our software, which is is pretty cool. But um, I, wa- I just wanted to mention that 
Yes, I think the alignment where possible is fantastic, but sometimes for us it's just it's almost like impossible and it's out to left field. Like think about it for this home inspector. Like they finish a home inspection and then they engage their home inspection clients are like by the way if you leave an online review a tree gets planted like there's practically zero alignment there right it's just it's it's a really obtuse concept maybe the closest we might get is that houses some of them are built out of two by fours which is wood that comes from trees i mean and even that's a big jump <laughs> so not, not really uh what you're seeing in the home building especially with home builders First off, keep uh -huh. in mind, I'm from California, so yeah. we tend to do a lot of linking businesses with ecological um, groups. So mm -hmm. it's not to us, it's not it's just part of business. But it's worth noting that we're seeing a lot okay. of home builders or even people that are, you know, adjacent, like your home inspectors, are actually looking yeah. into foresting because there is a definite link between building homes and depleting forest they've obviously right, wanted right. to make sure that those forests are kept around so it's yeah. not as, it's not as off the wall as it sounds i mean if we're starting, okay we're starting to basically start looking at some restaurants that sort of thing sure at that point yeah. it starts getting a little weird but when we start looking at the home building itself <laughs> definitely uh, there's a link between the trees in the home it's not a gotcha it shouldn't be I, I guess what i'm sort of getting at is that when it comes down to a charity that actually goes with your business, even if it's in a tertiary mm -hmm. way, that's definitely mm -hmm. worth looking into because uh, there's a definite link there. Now, on the other right. hand, if you were basically doing something weird like, I don't know, giving books to charities, uh, that would be, mm -hmm. even though that would still be cool as a writer, definitely would start doing that. But at the same yeah. time, that's me. You know, if I give books to a library for free. That's me. I mean, mm -hmm. I know it's part of my marketing plan, etc. But at yep. the same time, if I were to basically start going after something a little bit, you were doing that, it would be sort of weird mm -hmm. because there's no real, you know, nothing really adjacent for you there. Yeah, yeah. That's a good word, adjacent. I like that. Yeah, I mean, like, we're, I think you're right. Like, with a home inspector, maybe there is like this it's more thematically adjacent to be planting a tree uh, maybe uh, an example that i can use that's you know where there's almost zero <laughs> alignment is like i don't know a dentist or something like that but um but yeah so i th i think for sure like where you can where you can play to like aligning the values of the brand or the business in this case like the comic book writer the comic book artist if you can align their their values their passion um along with the thing that they're doing to make the world a better place as an extension of business as usual for them then all that stuff just creates resonance and resonance is a beautiful thing no definitely like you said we've got a lot of writers that have already and a lot of publishers are already starting to realize that to a certain degree. So it's sort of interesting to discuss it as far as other organizations go. Yeah, yeah. So, on the other hand, if I were to basically start up a parakeet rescue, I think a lot of people would actually resonate with that. Perhaps, yeah. I'm not sure. If you wanted to be known for that, you know, like, why not? Well, no, you have to sort of keep in mind, I have a parakeet who 
occasionally like is that technically actually part of the show that actually resonates with the actual people that are on the show so for me I, my purpose is that wouldn't be too far off the course of course i'd have to yeah, be more of gotcha. a you know obviously i'd have to be more of a you know, going after places where parakeets actually fly around, that sort of thing. But I don't yeah. know if there actually is a parakeet rescue. But actually, I think right. there is. But I wouldn't be topic. surprised, man. It seems like there's an organization out there for everything. And that's going to have me curious for at least the next half hour. Um, <laughs> but just pointing out that there are ways to resonate your charity with your particular field that aren't necessarily pretty yep. obvious right off the bat. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, there was, um, I think there's a really famous YouTuber. I, man, uh, you know, like I don't spend a bunch of time on YouTube, so I'm kind of lame here. But is it Mr. Beast or something like that? I'm Does that pretty, ring any bells? I'm pretty much in the same thing you are as far as who you, who the YouTubers are. I'm pretty, yeah, much, yeah. Matt Pat, I'm pretty much Matt Pat and a couple of comic book people. Right, right. Yeah, so there, I think there's a guy called Mr. Beast or something, and he does all these really in, kind of interesting um, clean stunts, I guess you could call them. Like he's like a G-rated uh, prankster kind of stunt guy. Well, not like he, not physical stunts, but, you know, like publicity stunts. Um, and I mean, he's he's created a, an amazing audience um, around generosity, a lot of it, interestingly enough. Um, but at one point, like he... He had something where he's like, I don't know if it was around the California fires or the the bushfires in Australia that just you know decimated so much of their wildlands. But was just like, all right, we're gonna plant we're gonna plant trees. Let's do it. And they was planting millions and millions of trees, man. The amount of money that he managed to raise just because he's got such a huge audience. Um, but again, too, like, yeah. Finding for him, I think that was like a one-off thing. Um, fantastic that he was able to do it, um, but I do think that for your audience, you know, the the comic book folks, like again for the writers, for the artists, just just you know, dig in, give it some thought, see see what it is that you're passionate about, and you know, the other thing too, when you when you when you give this some actual rigorous thought and you you deploy it against you know, your thesis for being a successful comic book is that now like every single day that you get up and you're getting to work, which let's face it, I mean, work is work. It definitely helps if you love what you're doing, but at the end of the day, work is work. And if, if you're doing that and you have this like beautiful purpose-driven KPI bolted onto your comic book, like it just makes things that much better every day that you get up and you have to get to work. It's just like something that gives you a little bit more wind in your sails, which is probably most important when, you know, things start getting a little bit tough, you know, and you don't feel like working or you had a bad month or whatever it might be. Like just, it can galvanize you to get over the hump from time to time. Cause it's not, you know, business artistry, like life in general, <laughs> it's not always rainbows and unicorns. It's challenging for, for us at times and whatever I think advantage we can get from an emotional and spiritual perspective to, you know, keep the wind in our sails is, is definitely important. Yeah, definitely artists are definitely looking for anything that gives them a little bit extra passion. I mean, it's just, 
you know, that passion keeps us going, keeps us in drive. And without that passion, we basically wouldn't be doing what we do. Yeah, totally. And just because I found, just off the quick search, three different budgie bird rescues. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I love it. All right. See, there's, I mean, there's an organization for everything. That's awesome. I wonder if you, if you drill down even more, if there was one that, you know, specifically rescues budgies of a certain color or species, you know, maybe it, it doesn't go that narrow, but it's kind of cool that there's already three of them that exist. That's awesome. It could, it wouldn't be very beneficial to go too specific with budgies. But that's just because the, there's no real, I mean, it is broken down to species. Don't get me wrong. But when you start yeah. looking at the colors and all that, the individual colors are pretty much just, uh, it's just breeding. It's not actually a genetic thing. I mean, it's ge yes, it is a genetic thing, uh, but it's not differentiated by species. It's, it gets really weird really quick. But, that's cool, man. Um, uh, you know, it's interesting that, that they exist and that you, you found three of them with such a quick search. So, yeah, I tend to basically do really good at the Google Flu. So... But when it comes down to it, it's sort of interesting to figure out what kind of charity would work best with a particular comic or, for that matter, business in general. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, not, not to flog the point, but really it's – I think that alignment is really important. And also, too, like when you – when you kind of figure out like what it is that resonates with you, like just a just a vet, some some good partners, like you you, you know you found three budgie rescue places, like you know you want to spend some time and just find out who they are and try to find like the the one that you feel is going to be the the best possible partner to align yourself with and to help out moving forward. Yeah, definitely. I mean, definitely the reputation of that charity. You know how well it does, what kind of outreach it does, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So, yep, for sure. Sorry, I was just grabbing a sip of water. Oh, no problem. I usually encourage people to hydrate during the show anyway. So, cool, cool. In fact, I'm just down like a forty ounce cup of water during the show. <laughs> <laughs> Good man. So I'm good for the day. Um, <laughs> sure. But yeah, there's a lot of really great charities out there. And, it's, you know, my other first personal favorite is Doctors Without Borders. But, yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think um, just on, on this subject, like for sure, like Doctors Without Borders is a fantastic organization. Like talk about a, a, a a team who's been doing like selfless work for as long as I can remember. That's just amazing. Um, I think that there's definitely, there's definitely an advantage to having the KPI that is quantifiable, right? So if you can count it, it just makes it kind of easier to come up with language. First of, first of all, to share your story and then, Secondly, and this is important too, coming up with language that people can understand and spread for you. So like with Tom's Back to Them, for example, you know, they came up with this language, which is buy one, give one. I mean, that's four words. I mean, you couldn't get their story more concise than boiling it down to that 
concentrated essence. It's it's a beautiful thing when you know you think about it. It's like a it's a it's a the Mona Lisa of phrases in a way. Like it's just so so well crafted. Um, so yeah, like when folks are exploring, like you know what should what should we do? What's our KPI going to be? Um, I don't want to talk them out of supporting some something like Doctors Without Borders. By by all means, I mean you know just having like a the dollar value be the KPI of like you know we've given you know to date we've supported Doctors Without Borders you know ten thousand dollars or fifty thousand dollars or whatever, pretty great. Um, but I think when the KPI isn't a dollar figure and it's an actual like a tangible thing, I think is probably the most to, in my mind, it's the most powerful thing and it has the most resonance. So number of shoes, sorry, pairs of shoes given away by Tom's pairs of socks given away by Bombus, number of trees planted by star loop, number of dogs saved by, you know, kid with an imaginary friend who's a puppy comic. <laughs> Those kinds of like, tangible kpis versus like the more fuzzy fiscal kpi of a dollar value i think it just for me it has more resonance when it's a, a tangible thing for it's worth by the way tom's has given almost 100 million shoes away crazy oh man all right last i checked a long time ago man so they're up to 100 million yeah they're close to uh man Jameis, i need to get to work i got some catching up to do uh, it's just sort of yeah like I definitely agree if the more specific you can get the better is always better I mean it just basically shows that you're keeping a little bit better track of stuff there's a little bit more accountability there and you're being a lot more specific because like I said anybody can put dollar figures down it's just we've yeah. hit the point where seeing a dollar figure in and of itself isn't really all that meaningful on the other That's hand right. like you said you know number of shoes given away number of socks given away how many dogs mm -hmm. you've rescued that sort of thing is definitely going to be something a little bit more tangible and definitely something a little bit more specific yeah and it, I, and don't you think it makes for like a more interesting story like i mean tom's shoes might say uh we've given away uh you know 200 million dollars worth of shoes like to me that's but, you know, just if the shoes are two bucks a piece, you know, for the, the pair of shoes that they give away. Um, I think to me, it's it even though it's a smaller number, it makes for a more interesting story to say we've given away 100 million pairs of shoes than we've given away 200 million dollars worth of shoes or 200 million dollars worth of footwear or whatever. You know, that that hard number of pairs of shoes, 100 million, like. I don't know. What do you think? What would be? What's more? What has more impact on on you? Like I said, definitely the number of shoes. So. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So, Bombus, by the way, is not doing as well. They're only up to about ten million pairs of socks. Anyway. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Sorry, it's I still got really curious. impressive. I mean, here at Starlink, we're 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 on a mission to plant a million trees, right? So this is why I say like we still got a lot of work to do. Um, we're, we've got a long way to go with a really fantastic start. Like we got the wind on our back right now. We've got the only platform in the world that has dovetailed review acquisition with tree planting and online reviews right now are just white hot as far as a marketing strategy. Like pretty much every single brand and business on the planet is 
in a like a five star arms race right now, trying to get more reviews than their competitors, um, just because it's it's so valuable to them. It makes them so much more money. I, th- I think one of the most interesting things around that phenomena actually is um, TripAdvisor. You know, I remember checking TripAdvisor about uh, a year ago or something, and I was I was like holy doodle, like there's hotels on here that have like 10,000 reviews, 10,000 guest reviews. And it got me thinking just because I'm in this space, right? I give this stuff a lot of thought more, more than the average Joe, uh, of course, because, you know, it's, it's my bread and butter. But I got to thinking like, holy doodle, there is no such thing as enough reviews, if there was like, you know, these hotels would just stop. They'd be like, well, we got a thousand five star reviews. Like, do you want to stay here or not? But <laughs> of course they don't stop because what they're trying to do is actually create that status delta. They're trying to get a huge lead on the next closest hotel that's down the road that a potential guest might consider so that when they're, the guest is looking at those two hotels and they're like, huh, these guys have got, you know, Four four owl rating or whatever it is on TripAdvisor is it owls? It's not stars, is it? It's yeah, or I, dots. I don't know. Even know what kind of rating system they use these days. It's still basically a one to five. So when it comes down to one to five, all right. But the key yeah, here is so, you know yeah. But again, another way to emphasize getting reviews is obviously the review. You know, obviously a lot of people want reviews because it also helps them get better as well. You know, by understanding where where they're messing up. They can also correct that, and you know, basically, you become a much better business. Yeah, definitely. That's a really good insight too. And I think for you know, data-driven businesses and even small businesses who wouldn't consider themselves as data-driven, but who have their ear to the ground around customer feedback, that's a really great point. I mean, particularly negative reviews. I know no no business likes getting negative reviews. I mean, who does? But when the when those negative reviews are, you know, th- thoughtful and well articulated, it's it's a great point you bring up. That's actually a an opportunity for that business to kind of highlight. Um, a potential genuine part of their operations, which needs addressing. And if they address it, one, they won't get that kind of negative review ever again. And two, they become a better business. They become more efficient and likely more profitable for having addressed that thing. Yeah, definitely reviews can go both ways. So. Mm-hmm. All right, so when it comes down to it, any final thoughts when we start actually coming down to it yeah yeah just to really kind of come full circle and just reiterate um you know to the to the listeners whether they're comic book artists or writers or not like just start to think like how can we make the world a little better as an extension of business as usual you know you're not trying to save the world here you're not trying to save the planet but by extension of you guys getting up and passionately practicing your craft. Is there a way that you can make the world a little better? And in doing so, make your entire venture infused with a sense of purpose that it otherwise might not have and infused with a competitive advantage that it otherwise might not have either. Cool. And, of course, the obligatory go ahead and plug away. Sorry, say again. Where, where, where's your website located? 
Uh, okay. Well, James, I might have to get you to translate for me because every time I say this, my wife laughs. She's like, nobody can understand what you're saying. <laughs> so my, our website is starloop with a P, starloop.com. People can find us there and then on all the socials as well. But if you can translate you know, that into American English, or I can try with my worst American accent ever, but it'd be better if you said it probably. Yeah, it's just starloop.com starloop.com all right you're I need, trying to make I it way practice. too complicated i need practice man i should i don't know watch some watch some uh cowboy movies or something try to nail down a a good american accent well no it's just you'd be surprised how many people try to make it a lot more complicated than it really is and sometimes it's just basically just yeah just say what it is and hope people just figure it out it's you could you could you could definitely understand what I was saying when I say Starloop, but no wait, you've read it, you've seen it in print, you know, on our emails and stuff. I think you have an advantage, but all right, I'll I'll take that as a compliment. Maybe I'm I'm easier to understand than than I think I am. You're not as complicated, trust me. When you basically deal with some of the webcomic URLs we have to deal with, Starloop.com is pretty simple. Nice. All right. Well, Jameis, thanks for having me. No problem. It's great having you. For those interested in helping support the show, please check us out over at patreon.com slash two sparrows, T-W-O. We offer different types of tips, tricks, and all that for surviving the sobriety's life, as well as unedited versions of certain interviews. Yeah, they were either ran too long or they needed to be, shall we say, bleeped out. Those are available in their unaltered form at patreon.com slash two sparrows, T-W-O. Also, I'm currently working on trying to get transcripts up, so there are occasional transcripts of shows. You expect to see more of those over the coming months. And, of course, if you want to see a much more curated version of this podcast, head over to YouTube. Yes, Webcomics Reviews and Interviews has its very own special YouTube channel where we actually break this down into various different playlists regarding different topics as well as separating out the reviews as well as the interviews. Straight up, and we also add in the Alexa Flash Briefs as well as some of the mini-casts that you'll find, be finding on the Patreon.com account. So definitely check that out. Last but not least, I do have a couple of books available on Amazon.com under Jameis Jochum. J-A-M-A-I-S-J-O-C-H-I-M. Obviously, the character building book is up, and I've also got the How to Create a Comic Workbook up as well. Both of those are really great if you're trying to basically just figure out how to write a comic. Again, thanks, and have a great evening.